Uh, it's good to have you with us and those who are watching at home. Thank you for joining in with us. And we thank our uh, bell ringers for uh, playing uh, this morning. That's a great addition to our, our Lenten season. Uh, we are we are in the Lenten season, that time between uh, Ash Wednesday and Easter, historically a time of reflection, a time of self-examination, a time of sacrifice, uh, really a time to to do a checkup, a heart a heart checkup on how we are doing in our Christian life. Uh, as a church, we're doing a study. It's called the <clears throat> the Jesus Shaped Life. Uh, we will have. Our Bible study on uh, Wednesday night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Uh, and a reminder that those are recorded. So if you can't be here, you can you can watch that later. But um, w- this whole time is devoted to the idea of how do we move from our old selves into uh, being and acting and loving more like Jesus. That's what salvation is about. That's what holiness is. Jesus-shaped life, a life that looks like Jesus, means that we're going to have to shed our humanness. We're going to have to shed that brokenness that is a part of us and put on Christ. We we have this bent within us called sin and rebellion, disobedience, all these things that want to do things in our own way, in our own strength, in our own power. If we love it, we love ourselves and we we love what makes us happy. We we really don't care what goes on in the rest of the world as long as it affects me in the right way. That's the human brokenness. A Jesus-shaped life, instead of only loving self, learns how to love God and love His creation. Every person that's ever been born is loved by God, created by God. We have His image within us. And part of Christianity is a shedding of the old nature, shedding of the human nature, and a polishing of the Spirit of God within me. And so I begin to look and act and think more like Jesus Christ. Last week we uh, <clears throat> we talked about sin and the uh, just the danger of sin and how how our rationalization of following sin and our attachment to sin can be dangerous for us, uh, that ultimately we need to learn the obedience of Jesus. Jesus always obeyed the Father. Every single thing He did was obedient to the Father, even death on a cross. Obedience, whatever the Father wanted Him to do, He submitted Himself to it. We are called to submit ourselves to Him. That, that sin nature, our way of getting out of that is instead of doing things our way, we do things His way, which will make us more like Him. That was last week. This week we're going to talk about the relationships of Jesus. How Jesus in, in lived, uh, and, and acted within society with his friends, with his enemies, with everyone he came in contact with. The relationships with, of Jesus were very instructive. In fact, I, I find it amazing. We, we, in, in modern day Christianity, we have made knowledge, uh, sort of the ultimate of Christianity. That the more you know, the better Christian you are. 
right? The, the more you, the knowledge you consume, the more Bible studies you do, the more you read, the more you have memorized, the, the sort of consumption of knowledge, the expanding of our mind, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but, but the expansion of our mind with an empty, broken heart does us no good. It's only when, when we learn how, not just how to believe the right way or think the right way, but when we begin to act the right way. As you read the Gospels, um, Jesus hardly ever led a Bible study, right? Uh, in Luke, on the, on the road to uh, Emmaus, uh, after his resurrection, he sort of broke down the scriptures to relate himself to all the prophets and everything. But we never read in the in the book like Jesus called his fellows and said, "Hey guys, we're going to go through Deuteronomy in the in the month of January." Right? That that's just not what he did, and yet that's what we 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 think these these sort of uh, mind expansive ways of of practicing religion, that's where we put all of our emphasis. Bible study, devotional reading, uh, small groups. When we do small groups, what's the question everybody's got? What's the curriculum? What's the curriculum going to be? What are we going to be studying? Well, the curriculum Jesus used on his guys was watch me, listen to me, love like me. That was the thing. And, and as we read the Gospels, what is now Scripture for us was not Scripture. In fact, what Jesus did most of the time, the times he did refer to Scripture was to say, well, you think it's this way, but actually it's not that way at all. This is the way God really looks. This is the way God really acts. You think that because of your standing or because of your nationality that you're better than other people. I tell you, you're no better than anyone else. And God doesn't love you any more than he, he loves this person over here that you think is not worthy of love. You see it all the time. The most instructive, life-transforming things Jesus did was not in teaching Bible study. It was demonstrating how to love in a radical, radical, mind-bending, comfort zone, expanding, uncomfortable way. Everyone knows you don't go hug a leper. Jesus, instead of walking away from the lepers, went to the lepers, put his hands on them. Everyone knew the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along well and the Samaritans were not worthy of even a dog house. And if you were a good Jew and you were going to be traveling from north to south, you you went way out of your way around Samaria. You didn't go through that wretched city and contaminate yourself with that. You'd go way out of your way to do that. Jesus on that journey walks right through the middle of Samaria. What? We don't do that. Those people aren't worth it. And then to complicate matters, then he sees a woman at a well, a woman by herself, and we find out from the story this woman had a bad reputation in town. Holy people don't mess with unholy people. And he talked to her about religious things. Women were just supposed to get water and cook. The disciples were confused when they came up. What what are you doing? People are going to talk. He invited a tax collector to their small group meeting. 
Everyone knows you hate tax collectors. We even know that now. Somebody everyone else saw as an enemy. He invited them into the small group over and over and over again. What we know about Jesus was not so much about what he taught about the old covenant. It's what he directed us toward the new covenant, which was this radical kind of love that blows our human minds. And if we are going to have a Jesus-shaped life, if we are going to be remade in his image, if we are going to have his image shined up within us, we have to learn how to love the way Jesus loved. Without boundaries, without restrictions, without categories, without sex, not sex, sex. I'll stop, but (laughs) that that goes bad real quick. So I'm just going to move on from that. But to love, a radical, religious people couldn't stand it. This is why the religious people didn't like Jesus. He didn't follow the rules. The rules that were taught in Scripture, that were misunderstood in Scripture, the thing they spent all their time and effort, the thing they thought made you holy, Jesus said, no, that's not holiness at all. Holiness is loving the way God loved. So that's where we're going today. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be in First John. First John, the letters of John, uh, right right at the back of your Bible. First, second, third John, three little short books written by the Apostle John, same one that wrote uh, <clears throat> the Gospel of John, same one that wrote Revelation. John, if you remember, one of the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. John identifies himself over and over as the, the beloved one. That's how close they were. But John also had a past. He and his brother were known as the uh, uh, the sons of thunder. Uh, there's a time in their ministry where where uh, Jesus uh, was going to... They'd been dealing with somebody and, and John and James wanted to call fire down on the place. And Jesus had to correct them and say, that's not a good godly trait to want to burn down the the place, right? So John had this this intimate relationship with Jesus. Out of everything that he saw, out of all that he was able to take in, related in the gospel, related in this letter, the thing, the word that described Jesus the best for John as with the other disciples was the word love. In this little letter, 1 John, it's five short chapters, like three or four pages in your Bible. But the word love is used over and over and over again because what John learned from Jesus is a life of holiness, a life aimed at God, a life that's pleasing to God has to have love as a part of it. So here's uh, we're in um, chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. 
If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before our God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded us, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. John, he's writing to the early church, an early church which already has some separations going on within it some diversity of thought, some diversity of fundamentals of of uh, the nature of Jesus, the nature of the church, the nature of the Christian life, who was eligible, who wasn't, what what applied, what didn't. There was already some divergent thinking in that. And he does address a little of that, but overall to a, to a, a, a a cell which is already starting to split, which is what us Christians do all the time, to where diversity is already starting to sort of drive them apart. He writes over and over, and if you notice, he uses this language within the, the document over and over, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. If you have an old translation, it'll just say brothers, but he meant the women too. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, there's this intimacy, there's sort of this inside conversation to the church of, hey, folks, this thing we're called to, if if we're going to be a change agent in the world and we don't love, we're, we're, we're done for. Love is the thing that needs to define the people of God because love is the thing that defines who God is. The whole ministry of Jesus Christ, which is what makes us Christians when we've connected to it. The ministry of Jesus Christ is a result of a crazy, radical, nonsensical love that was applied to people who had no no redeeming quality and didn't deserve it at all. And that's us. In the Gospel of John, same author, most uh, well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This this radical love, a God of perfection, a God of holiness with a people with a bent for sinning and a selfish nature and a selfish regard, a a completely uh, self-contained ecosystem in which we're the only thing that matters in the world to those people. 
He sent His Son who didn't just show up to teach generically about the concept of love. He did the unthinkable. The Son of God gave His life on a cross for us. Unrighteous, unrepentant, ridiculous sinners. He should have should have done away with us, but instead he died for us. So when when we start talking about Christian love, you have to start with that as the measurement. We're not talking about a we're not talking about Hollywood love or or rock and roll song love. We're not talking about a, a night of Netflix and milkshakes and popcorn. We're talking about dirty, bloody cross and screams, tears, and blood. We're talking about a love that costs. And what Jesus taught was that love that He had for us needs to be shared with us. That that's the mark that we understand who He is. That that's, that's, the, that's the proof in the pudding of our accepting of who He is. It's not what you believe. It's not how much you know. It's not how often you go to worship. It's not how many, what denomination you're a part of. It's none of that. It comes down to, do you love the way God loves? And folks, the, the answer is none of us do that as we should. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. That's what His perfecting grace does for us. That's what His sanctifying grace does for us. It takes us from where we are to where He wants us to be. It's a, it's a process where we learn to tune into Him. It's, it's not because you go home today after this sermon and say, man, I need to love better. Let's try harder. That's not going to work. The way to learn to love like God is, number one, you need to know God better. In order to be able to share the love of God, you need to fully bask in it. And and part of the Lenten experience, the Lenten journey is a, a recognition of those places that we're playing defense on the Holy Spirit. And where we're putting up blockades in our life and we're not being as receptive as He asks us to be. We're not being obedient. We're being disobedient. We're blocking Him and we're we're trying to shuck and jive around Him so that He can't get to us. But the more we let Jesus love us, and the more we understand that, the more that naturally comes out. See, to love like Jesus means that you are willing not just to love the easy people, but you love the hard people too. Right? You could say that the church is a laboratory of love. This is where, done right, this is where we learn how to love in in a confined environment. And and let's be honest, even in a confined environment, it's it's impossible. It's hard for us as humans to love one another, even in a group like this. Right? But that's sort of what church is about. We, We invite all the dysfunctional people we can together. And then we practice loving each other. You wondered why we took your membership letter. That's it. It's right there. 
And then they appoint a dysfunctional pastor. And then you learn to love me too. That's, that's, that's our practice, right? It, it, that's hard enough. I mean, the, 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 the church from the time of Jesus to now, the church continues to divide and fight and divide and fight and divide and fight. And that's with people who we have a relatively same foundation. And at least we say we're aiming at the same goal. And we're having a hard time just loving each other. And there was some, there's some in commentaries and stuff. There's, there's a nature of thought around this passage I read in John because he says, brothers and sisters. And at one point he says, brothers and sisters, you must love your brothers and sisters who are believers. There are some who would like to say that we are limited in who we are called to love. I'm going to object to that in just a minute. I don't believe that. But let's say that's true. We're not doing a good job of that either. This, this kind of love we're talking about, it, it has to be excessive compared to normal human love. It has to be reckless and dangerous for it to even remotely approach the kind of love that God has for us. It needs to be a thousand percent accommodating and a thousand percent welcoming and a thousand percent accepting because that's what God's love is for us. And therefore, we need to have that kind of love for one another. If it's only even for believers, let's, let's, we still need work. But I don't think it's only for believers. And this ain't, this ain't a crazy preacher hyperbole. I use crazy preacher hyperbole sometimes. This is Jesus. I don't have this on the screen, but if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43, I want you, you want to talk about ridiculous, boundary-breaking love. Matthew 5, 43, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We love that law. That one had to come up from a human being. It did. Because it's only right. If, if they're my enemy, why should I love them? I mean, I know we're in church, you've got to pretend you're, you're good, but let's just be honest, we all have a problem with that concept, right? Okay, you're going to resist a little bit, I'll push. Okay, right, let's, let's take current events right now, right? There are some who, are our own leadership in this country, they're, they're, they're so angry at it and, and see uh, leadership as, as an enemy. Uh, you want to go to the Ukraine situation and, and Putin and, and, and all of that. Certainly, as Christians, we don't have to love those people, right? I mean, that, uh, our, our, own, our, our, our own mind tells us that. Our own common sense tells us that. The world sort of supports that kind of thinking, that there's some people who deserve love and there's some people who don't. And you don't, you, you don't have to, don't be crazy. I mean, love doesn't have to be available to everyone. Well, that's a great human thought, but that goes against what Jesus taught. Let's, let's love your, you've heard the law says, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. 
For he gives you, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And then this is sort of the linchpin of our series. We've been using this verse. This is the context it's tied to. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or you are to be holy even as your holy as your heavenly Father is holy. See, when we make it about church laws and church rules and all that kind of stuff, then holiness, that, that, that allows us to keep some people at bay and keep others closer to us. But Jesus connects his holiness to a willingness that we have to be able, we have to be willing to love like the Father, which means that love has to be for everyone. It can't be restricted because God has no limits and no boundaries. If we're going to love like the Father, then we must love like the Father, which means there's no, there's no out clause on anyone. Now, this doesn't mean you have to invite them for dinner and you have to, you have to accept the bad things they do. If somebody's doing violence to you, you don't have to, to accept that. But if you notice how Jesus said you could love your enemies, he said, pray for them. And as despicable as Putin is and what's going on in the Ukraine and as heartbreaking of that is, hate's not going to change anything. If we, if we all just go, if we all just go subversive on it and it, it just turns to a thing of hate, that, that's not going to change anything. The radical love of God, the radical plan of God is that love really can change the world. We don't understand it. That's why we pray for them. Even in our weakness of faith, one time they were praying and the disciples said, help us in our unbelief. I don't know how that, I don't know how God takes that and makes a person like Putin. I I don't know how that changes, but I would much rather spend my time praying to a heavenly loving God to help someone that is doing destruction across the world then bask in the hate and become more like him. That's Christian love. It doesn't have political identities. It doesn't have racial identities. There's no boundaries, no limits. It's crazy talk. But isn't that exactly what God did for us through Jesus Christ? We were enemies the kingdom of heaven. We were living in darkness. We deserved death and punishment and he gave us love. From the beginning, John says it at the beginning of that text, you've heard it from the beginning, you should love one another. It's been the message from the beginning. You can't follow God without love being at the the foundation of it. Love is the whole 
principle of what Christianity about, what a godly relationship is, what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's about love, a love that changes. I'm, again, I'm not talking about um, romantic. I'm not talking hippie love, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm talking the love of Jesus Christ that's willing to get down and dirty and go to the dark places. That love will change everything. And the same author, John, wrote a book that gives us the end of the story. And at the end of the story, love conquers all. We win. Not because of how great we are and how much Bible study we did. But if we love him and love others the way he loved us. All of us know we should love one another. That's not a new concept to any of us. But again, you can't just will yourself into it. So what's our next step? What do we do? There's three in in the great commandment. That that thing upon Jesus said uh, when 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 the young ruler asked, "Is what do you think is greatest law?" And Jesus said, "Well, what do you think?" And he said, "Well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. And all the law and all the prophets, in other words, all of Scripture hangs on those two phrases. Even from the beginning, it was about love. The Ten Commandments, about love. First five, about love for God. Second five, about love for one another. The Great Commandment, two two, uh, commands. Love God, love others. We still struggle. And so that night before Jesus died, he said, hey, guys, let's boil it down to one sentence. You should love one another the way that I love you. This fulfills all the law and and commandments. It comes down to love. I can't love somebody if I haven't experienced the love of Christ. And until I can swim in the depths of his love, that's the, uh, Paul has a, 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 a phrase about, he just, he hopes all of us get to, to explore the depths of God's love. Because once you swim in the depths of his love, you're not swimming anywhere else. So my suggestion for us as we proceed in this, it, it begins with the yielding of ourselves to him. Stop playing defense. Identify where you're, you're dodging and avoiding. Identify where it is that, that you're not allowing His love to penetrate you. And the more you understand His love for, him, for you, then you're going to have more love for Him. And the more naturally we're going to love one another. Less of me, more of Him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for a love that makes no sense. I mean, we've tried to put it in poetry. We've tried to put it in sound, in songs, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I mean, there's but as, as much creativity and, and, and thoughtfulness and, and art is around it, we still, we still struggle to understand the radical nature of the love you have. But God, surprise us. Deepen our understanding. Challenge our preconceptions. Push on our boundaries.
Do away with our comfort zone. Allow us to love with abandon the way that you love. We pray that in Jesus' name.